Welcome to another episode of Back of the Grid. I am your host this week, Tom King, and I am joined, as always, by Chris Evans. Hello. And Stu Greenwood. Hello. In a week where we are due to review the Mexican Grand Prix, I think there's probably no better place to start than congratulating Lewis Hamilton on a fifth world championship, basically equaling Juan Manuel Fangio and only Michael Schumacher ahead of him on seven world titles now. Not bad, is it? Not a bad way to tie up his weekend, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can think of better ways of tying up the weekend, but in terms of a, mm. an achievement, for, it's not something to be scoffed at, is it? No, for the second not season so. in a row, it's like won it with a whimper in Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, won it all the same. And yeah, it won it in a season where he didn't have the fastest car for large chunks of it, which makes it all the more impressive, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the, the Mexico thing comes down to showing how much that Mercedes probably relies on its power, which we knew anyway, a lot of us, but it, I think races like Mexico probably highlight that. Yeah, definitely. Um, mm-hmm. They've always struggled there, haven't they, really? Uh, I think, did mm. Rosberg win there one year? I think. That um, was the season of complete and utter Mercedes dominance though wasn't it where nobody was anywhere near them whenever they've had a bit of competition they've just struggled yeah and usually it ends up being the Red Bulls that capitalise as this weekend showed again um, (laughs) Verstappen absolutely dominating most of the weekend um, topping FP1 FP2, FP3 Q2 and I think he was second in Q1 Um, but his uh, Teammate Daniel Ricciardo was the one who stole pole from him in Q3 as well. Just out of nowhere as well. Like, he just never looked... He looked like he might scrape second if he did a a flawless lap. And then, out of nowhere, he just nicked pole. Yeah. Um, A quick correction before we get any further. Hamilton won in 2016 and Rosberg won in 2015. Okay. Yeah, there we go. Dominant she is. But yeah, I mean... I don't know how he did it, really. It was... Well, I think Max was still struggling with um, breaking issues that he'd had kind of throughout the weekend. But even so, it's just a mighty lap from Ricardo. Yeah, Max held Paul, provisional Paul at that point, didn't he? And Mm -hmm. I I don't think Max improved on his time in that second run, whereas Daniel found the time mainly in the middle sector, but that's me working from memory. I've not written it down. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, even the Ferraris seemed a, a way back from where I expected them to be uh, up against the Red Bulls. Like We expected the Red Bulls to be doing well there, but I think the Ferraris were further back than I expected them to be. Personally. They're sort of nowhere, weren't they? Mm, yeah. Um, Vettel was two tenths off pole, Raikkonen a further four tenths back from that. Yeah, but even Lewis managed to be quicker than both mm. the Ferraris, and, and Valtteri sandwiched himself in between the two. So maybe maybe that shows the progression that Ferrari have made from an engine perspective as well, because we know that they've had a powerful car this year in in 
that sense to, yeah. to take the fight to Mercedes. So I guess maybe that's highlighted how much of it has come from those engine improvements. The fact that, you know, the Mercedes and the Ferrari are, are kind of split up between each other, but the Red Bulls have just not walked away with it, but taken it fairly comfortably in the end. Yeah, well, there's yeah the the red the Renault engine or the Tag Heuer engine, I suppose technically hmm. in the in the Red Bull, um, that has a much bigger turbocharger than in the Mercedes or the Ferrari or yeah. the Honda. So um, a, a, a quick sort of history of turbochargers. They were designed for aircraft so that they'd be able to run at much much higher altitude and not lose power. Um, which explains why at high altitude, a bigger turbo charger mm. works better <clears throat> for an engine for a Formula that's, One engine. So. Yeah, that's that's good. That's yeah, a, that's a nice little uh... science, everyone. Yeah, yeah, a bit of science for you. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. there's no, it's more of a statement than science. Not much science involved in that statement. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, it's more science than I've experienced today up until now. <laughs> So, so yeah, uh, bigger char- bigger turbocharger sucks much more air in than a smaller turbocharger, and thus it makes the engine think that it's lower down to the <laughs> ground where the air's thicker. Um, and if you've got a smaller turbocharger, it has less of an effect, and there you go, you get less power. That's it. That's about as sciencey as I'm going to get on that one. Hmm. I mean, the fact that the Renaults were kind of what well, they were two and three in one of the practice sessions and qualified yeah, doing well. seventh and eighth, kind of yeah, backs up really, doesn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, we'll move to the race. The start itself, um, Verstappen's start was as good as you're ever going to get, I think, um, because that that was where everyone was worried that after a one-two in qualifying, the Red Bulls might get swallowed up by especially fast-starting Ferraris. But you know, even if the Mercedes managed to be quick off the line, um, people were worried that they were going to get swallowed up. Max got away well. Ricardo had quite the opposite start and was overtaken by both Max and Lewis um, and was finding himself almost getting swallowed up by the Ferraris as well um, as they went almost three wide into turn one at yeah. one point. But the highlight of that for me was seeing the top six cars all within about two and a half car yeah. lengths of each other going into turn one and just thinking, what is going to happen here? <laughs> it always makes for a good first corner, doesn't it, that track? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Especially when they're that tight together, the top six. Yeah. Did you um, see Alonso in turn two swallow up part of the Force India that came off? Yeah, that was unfortunate. Um, Yeah, it's just it's just more bad luck for him, isn't it? Like that debris could have gone anywhere, but it lands right in front of Alonso's car. Like he seems to just be in the wrong place at the wrong time in kind of the latter half of this season. Yeah. The I thought the Ferraris were super duper cautious into uh, turn one. Raikkonen particularly, he was really late on the break. Uh, sorry, early on the break. Yeah, way earlier than everyone else. Um, I mean, I guess Vettel knows that if he spins it on the first lap yet again, um, that's it. Championship over. At least staying in the race, he's got a shout. And he is well. I mean, when we saw vettel and bottas going wheel to wheel a few corners later i was like here we go this is the the vettel lap one spin coming again but yeah you managed to get away with it this time yeah that little wheel to wheel tap it was it was a scary moment wasn't it yeah yeah that that damage that Stu mentioned as well or at least that debris that alonso picked up um 
it basically killed his race, like literally, as well as metaphorically. Yeah. Um, the by the end of the race, it sounded like it was it had caused enough damage to be a water leak or a radiator leak of some description, which meant the car had to be stopped. Did um, it like work its way out in the end that debris? Because he did a few laps, I think. It was it was the end of lap three, beginning of lap four, where he retired, as far as I know. Yeah. Um, and I saw him driving around with the big pink sort of end plate underneath his barge board, but I don't know if it was it ever worked its way out by the end. Yeah. Of it of his race, at least anyway. So shame though. Yeah, definitely. Um, it it was especially a shame, I guess, because. I don't know if you saw this, but around the baseball stadium section uh, towards the end of the lap, apparently they'd given out just tons of Fernando Alonso masks to yeah. basically let them say goodbye to Fernando with him retiring. <laughs> I, I assume he, for them to do that, he must be a pretty big deal in Mexico in terms guess, of yeah. fan base. Maybe it's a Spanish speaking thing or something. I don't know. But it, they had all these masks and they got to see him like, Two and a half, maybe three times. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, the ne- next sort of significant thing that I think we saw after all that chaos was uh, probably the pit phase has been triggered, which little earlier than I expected it to be. It was about in lap 11, we saw the Mercedes both come in. Um, 12 saw like Danny Rick come in, and, and then everyone else was starting to follow suit at that point. Um, but it ultimately led to what I think was some absolutely awesome wheel-to-wheel battles for position as well um, between all of the big six going backwards and forwards. Well, it's, it's it's the second race in a row where we've gone into the race not really knowing what the tyres are going to do. Like, all through practice, people were just shredding their hypersofts to pieces. Um, yeah. So obviously everybody who was starting the race on the hypers just had no idea how long they'll be able to keep them going for, which, again, I, I love that. I love having a bit of uh, uncertainty and things like that. Um, yeah. it does highlight the silliness of the starting tyres rule because um, basically everyone who all the midfield teams who put the hypers on um, to get into the top 10 all were screwed for the race because they were starting on a terrible tyre that was just going to fall to pieces yeah. like a bit of old cake whereas like Force <laughs> India openly admitted that they basically sacrificed getting into Q3 so they could start on the tyres they wanted to yeah, which is a bit of a silly situation, really. Yeah, and it's a rock and a hard place for Pirelli as well because they were criticised, if I remember rightly, from last year's race for the tyres lasting too long, but they've not really... They've, well, they've obviously taken them a step down, but not... You know, they can't win. <laughs> they need something no. in the middle for Mexico, it would seem. Um, but... Whether they change the compounds or not, again, remains to be seen. But yeah, it's it's a difficult track for them to judge, I think, from a tyre construction point of view, by the sounds of it. Yeah, especially when the temperature can fluctuate as much as it does there as well. Yeah, that's not going to help. Yeah. Um, but this is this is the first time this has happened with tyres, though, in Mexico, isn't it? They got it right the last three races. Well, yeah, but uh, people were thinking that they were lasting too long. Like they, they got some stick last year for the fact that tyres were lasting too long. So as a consequence of that, they they brought them down a compound, and that's obviously too far. So I think the ultimate solution is to just go back to what we had and although, deal with it. Although I remember that all the compounds shifted anyway, so they've effectively come down two compounds, haven't they? 
and that's probably the problem, isn't it? Yeah. They, they've they've moved down a compound in name, but also all those compounds shifted down a step anyway. So, like you say, it's effectively two compounds softer this year, rather than a, just a one. weekly segment of tire talk. Yeah. Let's move away yeah. from it. <laughs> <laughs> it was well. I mean, you can't really avoid it for this race because I mean, me and Stu were sat watching the race just like keeping yeah. an eye on the tires and looking for blisters. Like we we spent yeah. most of the race wanting slow mo so you could see them. Yeah, show me Verstappen's tires. Show me Vettel's tires. Show me. Every- we yeah. just kept saying, show me X person's tires. It was bizarre. <laughs> yeah, but um. Yeah, I think like the it, the reason why they have grained up is is definitely because they've gone too great, too too uh, two steps softer, and there's a lot, obviously the aero has less effect, so they're sliding around on the tire a lot more, and that causes the little balls to build up on the surface of the tire, and then and boy were they sliding, and yeah, yeah, and then you just lose all the grip, you know. It's it it made it exciting, didn't it? Yeah, the, well, that's, that's it. It made the racing more interesting because. It split the field strategies a little bit, like some people were staying out longer. Um, everyone was in the same sort of boat when it came to the tire degradation, but others were doing a better job of getting, uh, making them work and making them last a little longer. So it split that up a little bit. And, and like I say, the, the ultimate byproduct of it was wheel-to-wheel racing for positions and overtakes and stuff like that happening among the top six. Like yeah. Whether it was people coming out on fresh tyres and catching up those that were trying to do longer stints, like um, Verstappen, for example, when he was sort of catching up to the Ferraris as the Ferraris pushed a little bit longer and stuff like that. It's, it just added a little bit of a spice to it, which you don't always get because everyone kind of comes in at uniform points at the same time. And yeah. You don't always get that opportunity to, to see it which is makes a nice difference. It's the fact that they don't have the data as well. That yeah. like it, the same happened in in the USA like and there's been calls this week to maybe restrict the amount of data that they can gather. I think that's that's actually quite an interesting talking point maybe we could talk about like do we think it's a good idea to like have have just one session of practice for an hour? Where they're, or maybe two hours of practice, where they're just on track for those two hours. That's all the practice they get. That's all the data they get, and then they've got to go into qualifying with that. I th- I think that from a is this has come back to something I sort of touched on last time is from a spectator point of view, no, because if you go to Formula One re- weekend to watch Formula One cars, you're going to be a bit miffed if you've got yeah. like four hours of action tops. Um, because that's one of the reasons that. that I well if you've got an hour session and an hour qualifying and then two hour race that's like four hours I think you'd have to couple it I think with changing the whole format and maybe have qualifying on a, on a Friday sprint race or like reverse grid race and Saturday, yeah. something like that I think mm. as part of a big overhaul I'm I'm all for less testing time less data I think I think yeah you definitely have to compromise in that respect and that works like um like you say sort of potential qualifying Friday um or at least qualifying Saturday in the morning followed by races in the evening like a sprint race in the evening because obviously yeah. sprint races are shorter duration and feature mm. race on the Sunday things like that would definitely help but so how how often do you actually watch practice what like at when, home when, at, at home or even at the like sometimes when I go to a race weekend I won't bother with practice I just watch qualifying in the race 
I go to every session in full when I'm there for a race week. And if I'm watching at home, it genuinely depends on the Fridays and, and what um, what it fits in with my shift and then obviously what my workload's like. like yeah, I'll make like- an effort to sit and watch... Um, even if it's just having it on a second screen so I can glance at it or my iPad or something, I'll make an effort to to watch it. But unfortunately, because of work, it's not always feasible to sit with your iPad out <laughs> watching Formula One in the office. So Yeah, I think a lot of it depends on A, how busy I am, and B, who might be looking over my shoulder while I'm trying to yeah, watch it. Yeah, yeah. So, like that, that, so my point is, like, would it really kill you to not see Friday practice? I'm not talking about on a TV perspective. I'm talking about actually physically being there. Yeah. But it's I think the same the average... thing. It's a, it's a Formula One event. If you're there, Whether you're there or not, it's the event. It happens. I think for the average person watching on TV, they wouldn't notice yeah. losing one practice Which is session. The, the vast majority of the audience, that's what, yeah. that's what they're doing. But the, I do agree that if you go into an event, you want to have... Yeah, you want to see them on the track. You, and it's your not ticket a, prices it's not want to thing. definitely come down if you're not getting if you get if you're losing nearly three hours worth of on track action from because people buy Friday tickets specifically to go and just yeah, watch the practice because it's cheaper. They get to see the favorite driver on the track. They get to see the favorite team out on track, whatever it might be. And people will just go to that particular thing and mm. on a Friday afternoon because. Of the ticket prices and the the let's put it this way at the end of the day if you're buying a race weekend ticket it's about a tenth of the price yeah. more to buy a race weekend than it is to buy yeah. a, a race day ticket so the advantage is if you're buying a race weekend ticket you've got the whole thing but because of that huge price the people there's a lot of people that can't afford that and will buy um practice tickets but or I, even qualifying I, tickets to an extent con- as well. But when, when we consider that the show on race day would be so much better, is it is that a sacrifice that's worth making? Sacrificing, say, an hour of practice. Instead of three hours of practice, just have two hours of practice on a Friday, so they're losing I'm, an hour. I'm, I'm not saying we shouldn't scrap practice times and reduce them. What I'm saying is we'd, I think we'd have to find something else to do alongside yeah, them, like what Chris absolutely. was saying, and in something. terms of making it more like the the lower formulas mm. formats uh, that you get in F two and F three and GP three and so on, where you've got a, a practice session, a qualifying session, a short race the same day as qualifying, and then a feature race, which is your main event on the Sunday. Sunday. It's your Grand Prix on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. I think that's that would probably be the way to do it. Two hours on a Friday practice. Saturday morning quali, yeah. Then and and then that race. also comes back to the fact that some people will buy Saturday qualifying tickets because they can't afford weekend tickets because that's you know that's fact of life. Mm. But that's how it those is people anyway, get to see it? a Formula One race. Yeah, it makes Saturday a lot more of a appealing concept. Exactly. Yeah. But then they just put the ticket price up because the race on that day. Well, yeah, they absolutely <laughs> would, but. <laughs> That is the problem. They will see an opportunity to make some more money and they will absolutely take it. Mm. Um, that answers that though. one then, doesn't it? Yeah, how did we get here? <laughs> I don't know. Blame Stuart. We were, t- we're, t- <laughs> well, we were, we were talking about everyone's favourite subject, tyres, and I tried to make yeah, it a once bit again, interesting. Tyres took us down a, a, weird, uh, <laughs> yeah. a weird shortcut. 
Oh, not a memory chicane. Well, it's not a memory chicane, is it? <laughs> it was more of it's a. More uh, a uh, it's more an alternative avenue. It's a joker lap. Yeah, it's the joker lap of thought. Actually, no, joker laps are normally. Oh, they're normally a bit longer. <laughs> we'll take that. Moving back to the race. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> after that, we lost Carlos Sainz, which was seemingly down to a very similar power shutdown to what some of Ricardo's previous yeah. rules have been in this season. Um, caused us a virtual safety car at that point as well, which a few took advantage of. But what was interesting is I think that's the first time the Renault team have had that similar issue to what Ricardo and Verstappen have had. Yeah, um, I believe you're right. Which means it's not purely just on the way that the Red Bulls are running the engine. As Renault have... <laughs> I suppose it could be coincidence but it, that it's a similar failure, but yeah, it means that it's not purely just something Red Bull are doing to it or an upgrade that they've chosen not to take or whatever it might have been that Renault tried to say before. Um, yeah. It's a shame because he was leading the uh, best of the rest uh, race at that point. Yeah. Um, in fact, he's he's one of the few drivers that hasn't won the Formula 1.5, as uh, people call it this year. Um, <laughs> like Hulkenberg, um, both the Force Indy guys, I think both, uh, definitely the clerk, not Ericsson, but most of the midfield guys have had that sixth or seventh place at some point. Um, and Sainz is still yet to uh, have a Formula <laughs> 1.5 win. Well, he's got two races left to achieve it. <laughs> he does. And he's, I mean, that Renault's looking really good towards his back end of the season. So Yeah. yeah. And Brazil, Brazil's quite high altitude as well, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not, not to the extent of Mexico, but you get a similar effect there for definite. And Red yeah. Bull have usually gone well there, so. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I, re- I really hope Verstappen can get a pole position. That's what I really want. Yeah, that, that was like the shame that came out of qualifying, wasn't it? Yeah, we yeah, didn't mention that yet, record. have we? Yeah, so he was so close. Like the what was it, two thousandths, pretty much. Yeah, I don't know. Given the season Ricardo's had, I think I was happier to see him having some good news. To be honest, I'd have I'd have taken it the other way though. As yeah, in totally. a Verstappen pull for the for the youngest pulse at a record, but and his first one because he's never obviously never had one, and then a Ricardo win just to make up for some of the crap that he's had to go through in the last <laughs> well eight months <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah um, uh, another record that disappeared was um alonso can no longer have the most raced laps of all time um uh, yeah. i think he needed to get like a hundred nod in the last three races or something and because he retired so early that's uh that's gone now damn um back markers Daniel Ricardo, Sebastian Vettel. Ricardo was not a happy boy. Livid, I would say. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a a polite way to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are thoughts on that? Because he he was obviously feeling he was held up, uh, and it led to Vettel's overtake. I don't think he had any complaints about the overtake itself. To be honest, it was more about the fact that he felt he was put in the vulnerable position by he not being able to get past back markers. Well, I mean, it, it, it was look, it was going to get overtaken by him anyway. Yeah. At some point that was coming. It was way Vettel was way quicker at that point in the race. It was like he's just taking chunks out of his lap time. I, th- I, th- he got I think that was the point in the race where me and Stu both um put a cheeky few quid on Vettel to win because he was yeah. just looking so so quick at that mm. point. Um 
if anything, the VSC kind of screwed Vettel a little bit because uh, it kind of stopped that momentum he'd got at that point and yeah. the best of those tyres. Um, I don't know. I think we've seen much, much worse blue flag business this season, to be honest. Um, I just think given the circumstances Ricardo was already in, it sort of exacerbated how angry he made him. I think that's yeah. exactly it, yeah. Like, As it would. He, he, he's more frustrated with it because at the end of the day, he started that race on pull and he's watched his teammate get ahead of him and start disappearing. So it's, yeah, I think the frustration that's built up there anyway and then something like that's just pushed him over that, that yeah. ledge, hasn't it? So, But there was more to come. <laughs> which I'm sure we'll get to <laughs> yeah. in in a minute or two. Um, interesting, well, interesting, weird moment, let's call it. Um, Perez had brake issues. I'm not sure if it was officially a brake failure or just brake issues, um, but he almost took out Kevin Magnussen um, as he himself exited the race uh, round lap 38. Um, was into turn one, wasn't he? He was sort of holding the inside line running slowly because he knew he clearly knew he had issues but then almost careering to the side of Magnussen as Magnussen went round him into into the corner yeah it could have been quite nasty that yeah yeah it could have been it was it absolutely was brake issues that's what took him out of the race they were trying loads of different things to get them get the brakes on song again but um they couldn't eventually I think at that point that was the failure but the ultimate that's what made them bring him in yeah yeah and it it led to Ocon having to manage his brakes from the sounds of things as well because they were obviously worried that something similar might happen to to him. Um, so I'm just looking it up. It was it was definitely a brake failure that he had. Um, so it was a complete failure then. Well, it wasn't. You think it wasn't a full failure. It was. It wasn't so bad that he just exploded, but it was bad enough that he had to stop. Yeah, yeah. If they'd left him out, it would have been probably a brake failure. Yeah, I mean, he's a hard track on the brakes anyway, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the heat, isn't it? There's no yeah. air again. It's that altitude thing. Yep. There's no air flowing through them. Not cool. They're not getting cooled down. So yeah, they just didn't get the right setup for the brakes for the race, did they? Force Unfortunately, India. not. Speaking of brakes, um, Ferrari ran a new kind of brake disc in Mexico. Um, I saw this with this 1,400 cooling holes in the brake disc, which is the <laughs> most that anyone's ever had in a brake disc. Um, yeah. Do you know how long it takes them to build those brake discs? I do not. It takes literally weeks for them to build them. Because it's kind of building up layers and layers of... And stuff. Yeah. It's, well, it's layers and layers, but they actually they actually drill the holes. That's, that's very interesting. That is a really, really high high accuracy drill system that they use to, to put all the holes in. Yeah. This is the episode where everybody learns things. I know, right? Full of, <laughs> full of actual guess, information this so, week. I guess so. Full of facts. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's all I've got on that one. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's good though. It's good. We- um, the the interesting thing is, ten years ago there were only thirty holes in the brake disc. Yeah. Um, uh... Just just a single big fat hole drilled all the way around. Obviously, a series of big fat holes drilled all the way around the disc. No, it's like and then they moved on to. Seven, yeah, seven rows wide, I think, of like tiny holes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it is. It's crazy. It is really, really crazy, and it's a really, really complex um, geometry that the brake disc has as well. Because you have to think about what the structure of the disc and how the heat is affecting different parts of it at different points. And it's not as simple as just like putting all the holes in. They have to be so, so precisely engineered for that for that. Um, 
pressure to be distributed evenly across the disc because if there's one weak point in that disc then it's just going to pop yeah any imbalance on something spinning that fast and yeah screwed yeah so there you go a bit more interesting (laughs) subject matter on the brakes for you there tell you who uh didn't who did have some trouble with their brakes was uh mercedes later on when they uh both went rally crossing at turn one yeah well yeah it, one after the other it was yeah. sort of, it was sort of um down to them struggling with the life of the super softs i think wasn't it yeah it was um, really locked up but it, like it was lockups touch. it was lockups um and it was both because they were I think concentrating more on defending from the respective attackers than, yeah. <laughs> than what they were actually doing. So um, Lewis was the first one getting attacked from Ricardo, and Bottas then had very similar issue moments later after Raikkonen came at him. Um, both used the grass and went for a little detour. Um, <laughs> sleeping policemen around the edge of the track there doing the job exactly as I'd expect him to, to be honest, because it forced both cars a long way around on on the grass and they were able to safely rejoin the race, but they weren't able to retain the position that they mm. lost by making the mistake, um, which is probably about right, I think. I think both those scenarios kind of came out as I think they should have for the mistakes that both drivers made. Yeah, they've, they've done a good job with kind of all the the furniture around sort of turn one and two mm. there. It's furniture, sort of, that's a good word. It sort of does <laughs> furniture, the job, like you say, it does the job they're supposed to really, but without yeah, wrecking yeah. people's races. Um, while we're on the subject of corner cutting, I have a correction to make oh, from yeah. a, cu- a couple of races ago. <laughs> um, I was staunchly against the penalty that Alonso got for um, his his off-track exports. Oh, in Japan. In Japan. Um, I've since seen an onboard that shows him doing the same thing for three laps in a row. So <laughs> really? Absolutely. Yeah, so he absolutely deserved... Right, okay, yeah, that's that's a, that's a slam yeah. dunk. Stuart's seen if, if the light! Once, <laughs> if, 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 if he'd only done it once, I would have stood by my decision, but it's the fact that he did it three times and... <laughs> The question is why <laughs> did he just yeah. he did it once and then was like is this the track now <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah so that's really hilarious um, yeah I, I hold my hands up uh, he's just stopped caring hasn't he Alonso yeah, yeah I think he has he, he really has he has much like um, somebody else um, um, yeah who it's that moment of the podcast where we talk oh. about it so Daniel Ricardo was our fourth and final retirement on lap 61 that makes it eight retirements this season, which is almost fifty uh, percent of his races. He's not that far off anyway. Um, what, what we had nineteen races at this point, he's retired from eight. Yep. So I think most damningly of all, that is eight retirements is more than anyone had driving a McLaren Honda in the last few years. Yeah. The most anyone has had in the McLaren Honda two or three years, what was it, was seven. I think Alonso had seven one year and maybe Van Dorn had seven the year after. Um, yeah, eight retirements in a year is just... And there's still two races left they could add to yeah. that, potentially. <laughs> Which is the worst. could still it's... actually make half the races. Yeah. It it's... is absolutely abysmal reliability. That Yeah, it's terrible. Had. I mean, Verstappen's had, what, three this season? Four? So, you know, it's they've both had their hard times, but man. 
Ugh. Let's have a look. How many retirements of Red Bull had this season? Verstappen's had three, so all all together yeah. it's eleven. But so it's 11. off the top of my head, half a season you got to remember, I guess, how many have been mistakes and how many have been failures. I think he might yeah, have he's got at least one mistake in there. Hungary was a failure. What were the others? Azerbaijan, well, what happened to him in Azerbaijan? Baku, Baku, they crashed into each other. Oh, yeah, of course. Of yeah. course, yeah. And then what did he do in Bahrain? Because that was his other one. Good question. <laughs> um, hang on. I will tell you. Uh, yeah, Transmission failure. Yeah. yeah. So so two, two are failures. So let's call it 10 failures. It's too many. It's well, just, just it's a lot. Too be many. Nine, it'd be nine failures because two of them were crashed into each other. Didn't yeah, it? I guess. Ah, yeah, of course, that's Bojan's birth. But it's still too many, regardless it's, <laughs> where we put that final it's number. Still, eff- effectively, it's half a season's worth yeah. of retirement. It's absolutely it? you're showing up and shocking. Uh, yeah, and he's such a good driver. Is the thing that's that's my biggest problem. If you look at his consistency across the season, yeah, you know, he's never finished lower than. When he has finished a race, he hasn't finished lower than six. Yeah, and he's got he's had the storming drives from the back of the pack as well. When he's when yeah. see, this is the thing as well. We're, we're just taking DNFs into consideration here. You've got to remember how many failures they've had in things like free practice and qualifying. Mm. That's led to them both starting at the back of the grid, whether it's through component changes or just yeah. not being able to set a time and like penalties yeah. or, or invalid times, whatever it might be. So. On top of these DNFs, you've also got these inabilities to being able to qualify in position because of the same sort of thing. So it's, it, it's even bigger, isn't it, than eight or nine races? Yeah. And when you look at the the top two, you know, they've had one retirement yeah. each, um, Hamilton in Austria and Vettel in Germany, of course. Um, and both... Well, Hamilton's was a reliability, wasn't it? Vettel's was his own was his own mistake yeah um which is probably testament to why the championship has gone the way it has it tells the story itself the one it? making it does doesn't it that's the narrative right yeah. there like mechanical failure is the only retirement hamilton had mistake is the only retirement vettel had there you go i mean who's the more deserving champion yeah <laughs> i mean just looking at like like the Renault drivers, Sainz has only had one retirement all year. Hulkenberg's had five, but at least two or three of those, I think, have been down to collisions rather than failures. So, yeah. I mean, Ricardo's still got double Hulkenberg's points, but I don't know. In a way, does this vindicate his decision to go to Renault? Like, it, although he's having all these engine related failures, it still feels like they're only happening to that Renault engine when it's in a Red Bull. Um, I mean, yeah, admittedly, he's Red Bull. The, they're pushing the boundary too hard. That's yeah. the problem. They're pushing the limit too hard on what that engine can do, I think. Um, that'd be my... I mean, that's the obvious... obvious. It certainly feels that way. Indication, it, isn't it? Like, it I, th- I, st- I still think it's like a very similar scenario to some of the issues McLaren had with the Honda partnership in the sense that there's an engine manufacturer who can build things within their capabilities to a certain specification. And as the chassis manufacturer, McLaren and Red Bull both want to do things with those engines that 
in terms of the, either the way they use them or the way they package them or whatever it is that pushes them a bit beyond what that particular package is capable of. Mm. Um, and I think that it's it's just down to them not be they're just yeah, they're not just compatible with each other are they the, the way that the, the team wants to build the car is unfortunately not compatible with, with the way the manufacturer can build the engine realistically well, I, think, I think it's it's more they're just pushing the pushing the packaging of the engine beyond the tolerances because yeah. they obviously there's a deficit in power there and they're trying to make up for it by yeah by enclosing it and, and sacrificing things like cooling and, and packaging it in such a way that uh, that forces it to go beyond its tolerances yeah. as, a, as a as a as a piece of engineering. Yeah, and as soon as the Honda goes in the Toro Rosso, you don't get that problem. No, um, so being it, it's going to be, gonna be very interesting to see when that makes yeah. his jump to the Red Bull, what happens with it. I think there'll probably be a few more retirements yeah. for Red Bull next season. I dare mm. bet there'll be at least. I mean, it's going to be hard to be on a par with this season. But judging, I mean, if they're pushing that engine as far as they are and doing this to it, there's nothing to stop them doing the exact same thing to the Honda. And it's going to be McLaren all over again because McLaren were doing that to the Honda engine yeah. before. It's it's interesting because, I mean, obviously Red Bull have just blamed pretty much everything on uh, Renault the last several years. And right now they're saying lots and lots of nice things about Honda. And mm. I don't know, I'm going to be counting the races until... Uh, Christian Horner or Dr. Marco start having a pop at Honda because I don't think it'll take long, honestly. Yeah, yeah. they're going to be f- very firmly out of the frying pan and into the fire with uh, with, yeah. ho- with joining Red Bull. Christian Horner actually credited Renault for uh, helping them win this weekend, which is... Yes, he did. I think the altitude must have been getting to him a bit. That's <laughs> unheard of. Maybe. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Quote of the day, maybe Christian Horner saying that <laughs> he uh, he appreciates Renault's work. Um, speaking yeah. of of the days, do we have a driver of the day, gentlemen? Um, yeah, there's a few. I mean, obviously Verstappen got the official one because it's Verstappen and he won a race, so that's a given. Um, yeah. we, I mean, difficult to argue with. I'd say he drove that race about as perfectly as you can drive a race from the front. Yeah, had had a good um, weekend up to that point as well, which I think always yeah, helps. Definitely. I know we call the award driver of the day, but I think you sometimes have to take in a full weekend's performance to mm. to consideration. So deserving for that really? reason. Um, uh, Van Van Dorn making the one stop work, going through, coming through to eighth. Yeah, from where where did he start, Van Dorn? <sighs> well down, seventeenth. Um, I want to say starting grid. 17th, yeah. Was, oh, it's loading. Damn it, you beat me to it. <laughs> yeah, 17th. Um, oh, no, Stroll was step, No, Stroll started 17th. 15th, 15th. started. Wasn't a bad guess. It was quite funny after the race, actually, because obviously there was like so much going on at the front that, as is usually the case, you didn't see much of the rest of the cars. And sort of me and Stu were sat there watching it and there's Hamilton celebrating and stuff. And just suddenly like in the background, you know, they have like the towers with all like the positions on at various points on the track. Mm-mm. Just like behind an interview, you could see that <gasps> tower. And we both went, Van Dorn 8th? Is that right? How did he do that? How did that happen? <laughs> like, no idea how he got there. But um, yeah, like McLaren have heat praising him for how well he managed um, the tyres uh, to make that one-stop work. He did, I think, 57 laps on the... Um, cool super soft that's um, mad and it, 
most importantly, he just didn't make a single mistake in those 57 laps and just kept them going. Um, really impressive drive. Uh, there was actually a few one-stops. I think it was... Um, I think both the Saubers, uh, Van Dorn and Gasly, maybe, I think, all one-stopped. Um, I mean, Gasly, another potential drive of the day from uh, last at the start to finish in 10th. Also a damn impressive drive. Um, yeah. I mean, it proves that a one-stop was possible when all the guys at the front were just chewing through their tyres. Yeah, yeah, and Leclerc as well. Don't forget Leclerc getting seventh. Leclerc finished seventh. Yeah, he start, um, yeah. He only started ninth, but he he you know he made it work. He yeah he did a one stop as well actually. Yeah, yeah. I think anyone that made the one stop work is worth a mention for sure and worth a good, like just because I'm, I'm, it is. I think it's fairly impressive, really. I think I'm leaning towards drive the day for Van Dorn just because of all the people that managed to make the one-stop work, he has the car least likely to uh, actually come out with a result and still manage to get one. So I think for that alone, I'm slightly leaning towards him. And it's his first points in ages, I think, isn't it, as well? Yeah, in a long old time. time. Uh, Actually, I can tell you it is... (laughs) Probably Australia or something. (laughs) Azerbaijan was the last time he scored points. Oh, fair enough. (laughs) That was a long old time ago. That was still a long time ago, yeah. season ago. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So who are we giving it to? Van yeah, Dorn? Van Dorn, we, I think. We... Nice. Cool. Cool. M- move of the day. There's a there's a few for consideration here, I think. There is, yeah. We had um it's actually quite an overtakey race, wasn't it? Fifty four in total, uh twenty six with DRS. That's good. Uh, yeah. Um yeah, about half with DRS, which feels like a, a decent percentage. Yeah. Um there was a really good Perez and Ericsson battle early on I'm not sure I don't know if it actually ended in an overtake but there was a good few laps when they were dueling through the first few corners and Ericsson was putting on some actually really good defensive stuff um, I guess you're going to get that from a guy who's driving for his career um, but yeah. yeah that was very good even though there probably wasn't actually an overtake in it yeah I, I like the Hamilton Raikkonen scenario of corners yeah um, and then Ricardo just popping up in the background and saying, "I'll have a go as well." Yeah, yeah, there's that as well. Um, yeah, I think that was my favourite, like, I suppose sequence of moves yeah. you'd call it, wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah, that was definitely the most exciting wheel-to-wheel action. Yeah, uh, after, it was after very... turn one, obviously, after the you know in, in in the body of the race, that was probably the yeah. most exciting wheel-to-wheel action we saw. Yeah, very bold of Hamilton to be that aggressive and put himself side by side with those corners, given that. He didn't really need that position for the championship necessarily, but it was uh it was it was nice stuff all the same. Yeah, I think the other thing is as well you can trust Raikkonen. Like you, yeah, absolutely. you drive alongside a driver like that, you you know they're not gonna do a Verstappen on you. You literally <laughs> taken almost the exact words out of my mouth. Like <laughs> in in Austin we saw that little piece that Hamilton did. Where he was saying avoid Verstappen and <laughs> whatever he's like, mm-hmm. Verstappen's on your right. What do you do? Go left was the quote, <laughs> I think. Um, and yeah, I don't think you'd have seen him making that side to side move, uh, side by side move on Verstappen for that reason because Verstappen's got himself a reputation, which is probably exactly what Verstappen wants. Yeah, like, he's probably happy with it, but it works arguable whether that's the correct attitude to have at Grand Prix racing isn't it yeah but, it is but... yes yeah, you've 
you've only got to go back to someone that's considered one of the greatest of all time, though, in Ayrton Senna, and that was a very much a mentality people had on the yeah. circuit against yeah, him. Yeah, but I, I don't think Senna was moving around in braking zones quite as much as what Verstappen is. Though. No, but he, he did, moments, dri- he did but drive not, into yeah. the side of people into Turn 1 in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, he he moved around in braking zones when there was nowhere to drive. Yeah, well, that's I mean that's the difference of, between pulling your brakes and not bothering to pull your brakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> slightly different. Yeah, technically it wasn't a braking zone because he wasn't braking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the the other standout one for me, I think, was um the Vettel and Ricardo battle after the uh the virtual safety car that we mentioned earlier. Um, yeah, was quite good fun. Um, again, some really cool defensive driving from Ricardo before he finally got by. Yeah, um, so I think it's Hamilton and Raikkonen for me. Uh, it's for me. Yeah, as well. and I'm I'm the same. That was my suggestion anyway. So that is a resounding Ooh. winner. Good, good. Uh, and then, honestly, what the f- are we doing here? Any uh, nominations here, man. gentlemen? Um, uh, I think Mercedes not not getting their car. <laughs> That's my like. Toto Wolf described his car, his own car, as a GP. Uh, sorry, an F3 car. Yeah. Today, um, it, um, and they just didn't have. They were nowhere really when it came to the race. Yeah, they were great in qualifying. It was a bloody good qualifying session. But come race day, they're just munching their tires so hard that they had nothing to. They couldn't hold a candle to the other cars. It's another like winning a championship with a whimper, isn't it? Yeah, there's that. As, yeah, I don't like that either. Like, I would much rather have seen Hamilton on the podium for yeah. the the champ. Or, or like, you, you want to see it with a race win? It's, it's disappointing. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm made up. I'm absolutely made up that he's won it. He's, he's the driver that absolutely deserves it more than any other driver this season. Especially like we've said, you know, he's won it in a slower car than the than the Ferrari, really. Yeah. Um, but to to I guess it just shows you that they have got a slower car than than yeah. than some of the other teams on certain days because they have won it with a whimper and it just makes it I guess it makes it all the more special. Yeah, I, I think it, it comes back to what we were talking about earlier on though with the the air conditions up there in Mexico City that it it just highlights how much of their performance comes from that engine and when yeah when it's in those difficult condi- working conditions it's it diminishes the performance um and it's all right turning it up as high as possible for that one storming qualifying lap but they can't do 71 laps like that so i think that that's probably a transition between qualifying pace and race pace i don't think the engine was the difference though was it in into it wasn't the differentiator between the performance of the cars in this race well, the, it the, it brought them all close together because when when you've got a better engine, you've got more performance to lose when you've got something like altitude affecting yeah. it. Yeah, and I think that leads to you pushing the car harder, which leads to tire degradation. is is where it all comes I, I, full I, I circle. Don't know. I think I think you've got it. You've got it with tires. It's the way the car's set up. I think overall, that's that's. I don't think I don't think the engine. I think we're oversimplifying to say it's just the engine that that's uh, that's caused Mercedes not to win this race. It's a big factor, though. Um, it's the same for everyone, though. This everyone's going to lose performance. But it's it's the it's the same. It's kind of the reverse of like the longer you have a set of regulations, the more it closes up because 
the people mm, at the top yeah. have got less to gain. And in this, it's the reverse, where if you're at the top, you've got more to, to lose, lose in theory. from yeah. stuff. I mean, let's face it, <sighs> the, the length of that straight to have a Renault engine car on pole is... <laughs> Any like uh, any that track is anywhere else in the world that wouldn't happen. Yeah, um, I suppose maybe. Well, maybe Mercedes have a smaller turbo. If you're good, if it is engine, then that would dictate. Yeah, possibly the size of the turbocharger. I mean, like yeah. you say, Renault have got the biggest one, which is obviously working wonders for them. There, I don't think it's solidly down to that. Is the only factor. Don't get me wrong, but I think it it leads to a domino effect, which is when you are down in an area like that and you've you've got such a deficit, you then like say you you sort of overdriving the car in in a way at times to try and just find that extra time, which is what then leads to your tire degradation, which leads to stints not working out like you expect, and other teams being able to go longer and preserve tire life and stuff like that because mm. they're not physically pushing the car as much because then they're not losing as much power in the the altitude difference. Mm. I think so. I, mean, I think it's a snowball effect. I guess. Maybe, but uh, Toto said they never got the tyres switched on all weekend. So yeah, I, th- I think it's a tyre. I think they've just not that car's just not working in the, in the conditions that it was overall. The package didn't work well in the conditions. I mean, Mercedes have always had their like. I mean, if you look back in like 2010, 2011, when they first came back, they were atrocious on tyre wear. Yeah. And obviously, they've got better mm. over the years, but they still have still a main weakness. Moments. I think, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's always been a a weakness of theirs. Yeah, it's definitely an area where they can improve. Yeah, this weekend just uh, magnified that. Yeah. Mm. Um, so all that being said... Um, where else can we go? I mean, you know, the other one, the other obvious one is Ricardo's engine failure, eighth engine, eighth retirement of the season. Yeah. I think just for feeling That's sorry a... for him, I'd, I'd want to throw a WTF at that engine. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't mention it earlier, but after the race, he said... Um, Gasly can have his car at this point because he's just yeah. absolutely sick of it, which um, yeah, says a lot. Understandable. Yeah, if you've got to put your hand up for one of those, which is it a bit, which is it going to be? Well, the only other thing that springs to mind for me is um, the national anthem on a kazoo at the start, and the children who <gasps> oh, obviously couldn't hear funny. properly and were singing horrifically out of tune. <laughs> yeah, the, the real highlight was when it was going on, and it just kind of panned to the drivers' faces, and they were all just kind of like Gross. looking around and trying. trying not to smile and like, what, what is this? What's happening? Is this the anthem? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all very desperately attempting to look stoic in front of a national anthem, and just you can see the smirk just slowly <laughs> like spreading throughout the field of drivers. Oh no! Surely one candidate's got to be Will Smith with the "Do it how I taught you, Lewis" what? or whatever it was. That was so weird. Yeah, that was bizarre. I heard, I heard Martin Brundle in the background say he's not even at the track. <laughs> yeah, it... <laughs> that's even better. I didn't know that, that moment. Yeah, yeah. Like. You're waiting to hear from the person who's just won a world championship and you get Will Smith. Yeah. Just, I, just so you're doing I, it wrong. I've, I've read today <laughs> um, that it seems like they had that audio clip recorded yeah. a week ago because everyone mm-hmm. expects him to get the title in Austin and it was sort of ready to go then. Um that's even so worse. they just saved it for a week to play that. But the other thing is that it wasn't even played over Hamilton's radio. He didn't hear that. It was only played out on oh, the world feet. feed. Yeah, to make to looking like it was played. But Hamilton didn't actually even hear that in the car. Oh. So it was only for our benefit. And like, 
This is, the like the, this is like the eagle all over again, isn't it? It is. It's, it's so it's, weird. It's the equivalent of filming a nature documentary in a zoo, isn't it? As hilarious as a comparison as that is, I don't know how it relates, but I love it. I like it. Yeah, I like it a lot. <laughs> I mean, oh, I think we've sealed the WTF right now. I there. mean, that's it, isn't yeah. it? It's just that the fakeness it. of it. The fakeness of that. Just yeah, that's definitely my WTF. I, yeah. yeah, I find it amazing that Will Smith is the guy that taught Lewis Hamilton everything he knows about driving. That yeah, really, I know, right? Who knew? And doesn't I, I, I can't wait to see him in the Mercedes next year. <laughs> <laughs> Back in back in Lucy's karting days, and and Will Smith would stand at the breaking point and uh, wait for him yeah, to break, yeah. and then next laugh he'd take a step back. Yeah. That classic story. Yeah. Oh. So weird. Yeah. That leads us nicely then into inbox box box because I believe we've had yes. quite a lot of those. We've got a fair chunk. Yeah. Um. We asked for the usual questions and stuff, and just like general feelings on Hamilton now being a five-time world champion. Uh, Peter Reynolds uh, said I had a tear in my eye I really did uh, class from Seb overall a really positive day rock on Lewis Hamilton and please give Bottas a win back um, and yeah worth mentioning actually like it was kind of nice to see like Vettel sort of cut his interview with David Coulthard short to go and congratulate um, Hamilton and there's a video knocking around of after the race he went into the Mercedes garage to kind of go around and congratulate everyone in there yeah. um, which was just quite a classy it's, way of well, dealing with defeat, it's I guess. It's the way to behave as a proper sportsman, isn't it? In, in it all is, yeah. honesty, that's a, that's a proper sportsman who has been beaten and is not making silly, childish excuses and stuff. He's, he's going and congratulating the team that deserves congratulations because they're the ones that have won. So, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fair play to him. Mm. While also saying the constructors are still alive, and we'll uh, we'll push you all the way for that. Yeah, there's what is it? I think if Mercedes score something like thirty points, they'll seal it. Um, something like that, yeah. But it's still there. Like that's that's got to be their objective now, isn't it? It's to one, two, the next couple of yeah. races and do their well, best to stop Mercedes winning that title and. Well, we know Lewis isn't going to win another race because he never does <laughs> when he's won a championship. Yeah. So we can rule him out straight away. <laughs> they could do it, you know. Ferrari have... They've still got a damn fast car. Yeah. Um, they could well beat them in both races. It's going to be close, I think. Um, next bit of inbox from Ryan, uh, who said, I think... Uh, any driver can only hope to be included in the conversation about who's the greatest uh, comparing over nearly 70 years doesn't really work far too many variables uh, Hamilton's in the conversation though and has been since his third title I'd say um, which mm. I was thinking this other day actually I'm not sure this championship has necessarily raised Hamilton's stock in my mind anymore only because it was already clear that he's an incredible one of the best of all time drivers he's- I don't think five versus four championships makes a huge difference in that i think the the main thing um, i take away from this is i used to in fairness give him stick for um losing his head a little bit sometimes but i think this season hmm. has proven that perception that i had of him wrong because he's kept a level head even when being behind significantly in the championship at times and ultimately he's won the majority of the races since the summer break to keep that momentum. And and we've always known he's been stronger in the end of the season, but I think one of my criticisms of him would, would be to not 
stress out so much and make silly mistakes and lose positions over over not having his head in the game. And I think this season is probably like done exactly that. So, and it's why he's champion. <laughs> mm, exactly. Yeah, I mean, he's he's one of the greats. He always will be, in my mind. Um, he has been for a while. Hamilton is the only driver on the only Formula One driver ever to win a race in every single season he's participated in Formula One. He's he's been there, he's been around for yeah, eleven years. That's now incredible. In stuff. And he's won a race every season. Um, he's an absolute force. He, 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 they, you know, you got to think this kid. This is a black kid from Stevenage coming into a, a white dominate a, a, a very white sport and very rich sport and, and a very rich sport yeah his dad had to work four jobs to get him to where he is to, to get him into formula one until he got to like 13 and he got sponsors and stuff like that and mercedes took him sort of into the mercedes family um you know what what he's done will never be matched i don't think at this, you heard at this stage today as well he um there was a video release of him just kind of like talking about it like after the race um, and none of his family were there this weekend um, largely because his granddad died uh, Thursday just gone um, oh. which he sort of you know never mentioned over the weekend but like you know to have that weighing on you as well yeah. going into this weekend is uh, yeah it speaks a lot about yeah. his character I think yeah oh that's sad yeah, um, that's life. Say I rank Hamilton higher than Schumacher. Hamilton has beaten better opponents on the way to his titles, albeit two less at the moment, and wasn't controversial in doing so. Think Australia '94. Uh, I consider yeah. the greats to be the likes of Senna, Prost, Fangio, and I think Hamilton could have competed with any of them. No reason why he can't go on to match Schumacher's seven titles and more. But it's all about being in the right car at the right time. Just ask Alonso. <laughs> mm. Well, I mean, um, ask Hamilton. Hamilton's been in the wrong car at the right time in his career. You know, like Hamilton was in that McLaren yeah. doing nothing for a yeah. few seasons. Yeah. So the difference is he he recognised it and jump ship to the right place at the right time. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of um, Schumacher and Fangio, obviously uh, Hamilton, Fangio and Schumacher are the top three in terms of world championships now. And Mercedes have never entered a Formula One race where one of those three wasn't driving one of their cars. There you go. What? That's a mental statistic. Brilliant, isn't it? That's amazing. I love one of Fangio's world titles is obviously with Mercedes, isn't it? In an Mm -hmm. earlier guys. Yeah, and they in back then they only entered when Fangio was driving for them. So. Yeah. Wow, that's a great stat. Where'd you get that one from? That's a good one. Actually, you'd probably, have to say that. Probably say Twitter. That. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next, Tom Carter said, since Vettel hasn't won the championship for Ferrari, even though he has arguably the best car on the grid, do you think team orders would come into play if Leclerc had the chance to challenge for the title? Um, we sort of touched this before, didn't we? Obviously, mm. in the last few years, Vettel's kind of been treated as a number one driver ahead of Raikkonen and Raikkonen seemed happy to play that role it's going to be very interesting to see how Ferrari handle next year because it's as I don't know part of me thinks the clergy is going to come in and do his thing and maybe rock that boat a little bit maybe a more sensible thing for him to do would be to spend a year or so you know playing the team game in the full knowledge that Vettel's not got that many seasons left in him, at which no, point no, it becomes no. his team. I don't agree. I don't. I think going there 
balls to the wall, go for the championship. You have to say it's due opportunities when they come, don't yeah, you? Yeah, definitely. Totally. Yeah, yeah. What's Italian for multi-21? <laughs> <laughs> so Vettel yesterday, Vettel yesterday had the look about him of a man who looks very worried about next season. I go back he to what like I said last who... week or the week before. I think we've already seen Vettel's last championship. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, I mean, to, to be fair, Leclerc's already said in an interview, like, he expects to be fighting for the championship next season. And if he's not, then he doesn't deserve to be at Ferrari, which is, I think, the attitude that you have to have, really. Yeah. And <clears throat> at the end of the day, he's he's what Ferrari clearly sees the future from them, bringing him yeah. through the system that the way they have and then putting him in the car. So they clearly see him as a, a young driver with the future potential. Um, how Seb will react to that with when you had the likes of Danny Rick and Verstappen coming up through the system at Red Bull and he yeah. jump ship is remains to be seen, doesn't it, next year? Um, but yeah, what I hope is that um, that Leclerc doesn't ruin his trajectory one way or the other, like by being too. Um, what by being too good? No, well, the the no no the the <laughs> thing the thing is is it's not about being too good. I think it's more about letting an ego get to him, which we've seen Seb do at times with the like, and, and Max does it as well, like the whole not listening to what the team are, are telling him and doing his own thing, because Sebastian got a lot of crit- criticism for doing a similar thing at Red Bull, and Max has had a criticism for doing a similar thing at Red Bull. So I think that. He just wants to avoid that by like not being too brash, but he, he doesn't strike me as that kind of person anyway. So I don't think he would. Yeah, I was gonna say. But I think that's no, just the thing he's got he's to avoid kind of guy. more than anything. I, I I think he'll be fine. I yeah. don't think he'll I don't think he'll fall into that category. Yeah, and as long as he's not too sort of susceptible to just following team orders and letting Seb have everything, then he'll be fine. Well. I'll I'll drop in the next question quickly at this point because um, the next question's kind of on this. Uh, Daniel Baker um, said, "As well, says as a Danny Rick, I think that's supposed to be as a Danny Rick fan. <laughs> um, I'd like to spend some time discussing Red Bull, how well Max could do in the future, including next season. Why Daniel's had so many DNFs this season? Uh, why they're so dominant this weekend, and what that might mean for next year's car." Um, Oof. Yeah, I mean, um... I mean, we're still already talking about Max, and he's obviously got. He's got world champion potential, I think. It's plus a team's backing as well. Yes, he's de- very much got a team behind him now. Yeah. Um I thought it was interesting today I read um like early in the season he was getting a lot of criticism for the mistakes he was making and stuff and people saying he needs to change his approach and he was just like no I don't that's nonsense he today off the back of him winning has said actually yes he was overdriving the start of this season and he did change his approach um, despite what he said to the media um, which you know it shows a level of maturity that he has actually and he has clearly improved as this season's gone on he's totally, a lot yeah. calmer he's making a lot less silly mistakes um, he's just getting his head together he's a he young is, guy yeah. He, anyone who's over, anyone his age, that if they're overdriving, they're, they're it's, it's a sign of immaturity. I think, especially. I mean, you could. I, I even said it. I think I said it at the start of the season when he was having all these accidents. I, 
outed it as immature. I was like, this is not mm. how you should be driving a Formula One car. It's desperation. You know, there's you got to think that move in China where he went into Vettel and they spun. Um, there was the Baku situation where he moved in the braking zone as per usual. Um, you know, there's, there was all these things that he was doing that were just showing him to be not, not showing his head not to be where it needs to be to be in one of these cars. Um, yeah. As for why Daniel, Daniel Ricciardo has had so many DNFs this season and general bad luck, I think it's it's hard to answer that because like, why does anyone have bad luck? You know, <laughs> like it's, yeah. it is just bad luck. Red Bull aren't engineering a uh, a car to to fail on one driver. They want to win the constructors' championship. So it's it is simply bad luck. I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, Yeah. Unfortunately, it's the nature of motorsport, isn't it? And I think if you spread those DNFs out a little more evenly between the two drivers, it doesn't look as bad. It's still one of the worst records in terms of a team, but it it looks a, a lot worse because it's all on his side of the garage. And unless they're literally giving him dud parts, which I very much doubt, there's no way that, no. like, you know, yes, I think there's some sort of priority shown towards Max because he's the the future driver, but I don't think it's, like, I don't think there's anything like that that you could point your finger at. It's just bad luck. It's just what happens in motorsport, unfortunately. Eric asked exactly that. Ricardo's not finished four or seven races since he announced he was moving to Renault. Given uh, that Red Bull are surprised with this, anyone, do you think they're just not working as hard for him as they are for Max? Um, and as you just said, Tom, I think no team is going to sabotage one of their two cars. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, I do think they... Watching the Red Bull wall on Saturday, I feel like, yes, they were happy he got a pole oh, position, really? but it, I got the impression they would have been happier if Verstappen had got yeah, the pole position. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. And to answer the other part of the question, why were they so dominant at the weekend and what might that mean for next year's car? I think next year's car is going to be such a different beast with the new Mm. engine that I don't necessarily think it means much for next year's car. I think on a chassis side, definitely, it's. it's, I mean, it's continually the Red Bull has shown itself to be among the best chassis on the grid. Yeah, but and the engine is obviously what has laid down for a number of years now, and it'd be nice to see the Honda giving them what they need to get them in the fight with the Mercedes and the Ferraris, you know. That's that's yeah, what we all want to see, right? We all want to see mm, that, of yeah, course. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like, uh, I think as as we said right at the start, seeing the top six cars all battling down to turn one was amazing, and we need yeah, more of that. Yeah, And it just so proves Erica- that all they need is a decent engine, and they'll be right up there. Yeah, well, like, ultimately what you want is you want most if not all teams being actually capable of getting a, at least a podium ideal world I know it's like really blue sky thinking but <laughs> you want that scenario back that you used to have where just about any team could realistically look at the podium and think that's achievable today depending on where they were starting from a qualifying perspective um, yeah I guess some of that was down to poorer reliability back in that era but you know, Im- imagine like Danny Rick at Renault, um, Leclerc or Vettel at Ferrari, whichever one ends up becoming lead driver 
for want of a better phrase. Verstappen at Red Bull, um, Lewis at Mercedes, all sort of swapping and changing podium positions and stuff left, right and centre and it being like a three, four-way fight for a world title across three or four different teams. That would be absolutely immense. That's what you hope for as mm. an F one fan. Probably never happen, but mm. <laughs> it's what we hope for. I know. As there, are, think about it. Has there ever been a season where there's been more than like two teams battling out for the title? Yeah, I think there has, hasn't there? Yeah, there was. Quite the, recently, there was the year two thousand. Um, there was eleven as well. I think wasn't there? That was a fairly close one. We had Alonso, it- Alonso in a Ferrari, Weber in a Red Bull, Vettel in a Red Bull. Button in a McLaren. Yeah, and that was about it, I think, wasn't it, realistically? Three three teams then, yeah. So, we've come close, but... Yeah. Um, I think what it comes down to is we just want it to come down to the final race of the season more than anything. (laughs) I think that'd be best. (laughs) Yeah, that definitely helps. You get to the last race and it's like, right, still, you know, there's still a situation here that's anything could happen. The drama... Yeah, it, it feels to to borrow an analogy from a different sport. It feels a little bit like a cup final when you get that. Yeah. Like it's a series of of results that have boiled down to this one ultimate important one. Yeah, I'm just like looking back playoff. at like so, so to 2010. Yeah. We had Vettel, Alonso, Weber, Hamilton, and Button all winning races. Yeah, um, and I think 2011. I think was. was Sorry, twenty ten. That was twenty ten. I think twenty eleven was the one where you had like seven winners 20, in seven races. Wasn't yeah, it? that was uh, was one of those two. Yeah, yeah. I thought that. I thought that was twenty ten. Yeah, was there was there was the year as well where um, Raikkonen won a race. Well, he did it across two different seasons, but Raikkonen won at Lotus, yeah. didn't he? So that was that was yet another car that was sort of in the mix at times. Um, yeah, but it was really early on, wasn't it? It was like really early in the development phase. Yeah, it was late in one season, then early in the next season. <laughs> yeah. Like a weird window of time for them to have a bit of relevance. We've gone on a right old tangent now, though. We've, we have. We have gone down memory uh, chicane. This is a memory chicane. This is a memory chicane. Yeah, uh, let's, let's move on. Let's move Brings on. back some more inbox. Uh, yeah. Vasco Brenfield um, writing about the Super Weekend format we were talking about a few weeks ago. Uh, how would you feel if the success ballast was done with not with weight but with fuel? Um, he said, let, for example, let's say Bottas 08 team orders Hamilton is on pole um, <laughs> and he gets a worse strategy in terms of fuel. Of course, this would require refueling, but it would only be for a super weekend, so no problem. Um, Ooh, personally, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've never been a fan of success ballast in general, um, however you do it. It just it feels very artificial to me. Um, I think, well, if, if, you, if you're going to have a car that you refuel just for super weekend that's a totally different design of car but you've got to design yeah i don't think you could have refuel from just one the other it is interesting to give people slightly less fuel to work with so obviously they would have (laughs) to drive slightly slower i mean he would have the differentiator i think he'd have the desired effect i mean it depends how much you did obviously but you'd definitely then then it just comes down to who who's best at fuel saving doesn't it like yeah Kind of. If you're a, a really skilled fuel saving driver, can lose very minimal time by lifting and coasting. Um, it's an interesting it's, I mean, thought it's, experiment, this, isn't it? It is. It's kind of what Formula E is all about, really. Formula E is largely yeah, yeah. about who can 
still ra- will thrill waste, yeah, race people while well, saving actually, no, as much form, energy as you Formula can. E, it's the opposite, form, isn't it? Because you get form, energy back from the brakes. Formula so E. You, you want to be hard on them. Formula E is endurance racing in a Grand Prix format. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, they do still lift and coast in Formula E just because obviously yeah. when you're not on the throttle, you're not using energy. I think they tend to lift and coast and then just still brake incredibly hard when they do because that's yeah. the energy generation. Um, yeah, it's an interesting idea. I've never heard that mentioned before, actually, like using fuel as the kind of ballast kind of thing. Am, um, am I misremembering this or was there a phase where from a qualifying perspective, you had to start the race with a similar to what we have with the tires or have I just dreamt that no you started yeah. the race with the fuel load that you had in it yes for in qualifying, qualifying didn't session. you yeah, yeah right you so I'm not imagining that that's fine I'm just checking <laughs> that was like I want to say <laughs> early to mid 2000s I think that was a thing yeah it was yeah because yeah. if you had to go along in the race you compromise your qualifying with a heavy fuel yes, load exactly. and and vice versa. So yeah, that that was always part of the strategy. I'm just checking that that's not me making things up. No, that was a real thing sometimes. that happened. <laughs> cool. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Um, and we used to, you'd get a report like the day after qualifying, you get a report of how much fuel everyone is, and then yeah. all the media yeah. would like frantically try to work out <laughs> based on like the the efficiency of each car, how many laps they could go in into the race. It was. I would not want to be one of the guys working at like no. Autosport in those days, trying to figure that out. Because every car's different engine; they all got different fuel consumptions and stuff. It's just impossible to predict, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, have we answered that question there? What? I mean, think so. <laughs> kind of. It was less a question, more a statement to discuss, and I think we did that. So, yeah, yeah. we discussed it. I, I, if if I had to fall on one side of the argument to it, I'd say I'm, I wouldn't be a fan of like adjusting fuel amounts between cars. Yeah, as I say, I'm just generally not a fan of success ballast in general. So, yeah, Tom, yeah. opinion. Um, well, the success ballast in terms of a conversation for the Super Weekends was started by me. So <laughs> I've not got as much of a problem with that. <laughs> um, I think those interesting days of fuel strategy would maybe be interesting to see again in some guys because you still get it in other motorsports. But I think we kind of nailed it when we said you'd have to have a completely different car, unfortunately, to do it in F1. Yeah. So I don't think it's very feasible. As good as an idea as it could it'd, be. It'd have, it'd have to be a wholesale regulation change, that one, wouldn't it, rather than yeah. just for one weekend. Unfortunately. But, Cool question, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Good. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, Tom, have you got some emails for us? Yeah, the, um, something else that Stu really likes. Would you rather? We've got, <laughs> we've got plenty from Aaron Griffiths to keep us oh. going for weeks, so I'm going to pull a couple of them. Just, just <laughs> um, give us one. We've only got time for one. Give us one. All right, then. Um, would you rather engineer a team to a driver's title and eighth place um, or engineer a team to a constructor's title, but your drivers finish second and third in, in the driver's standings. Sorry, I asked drivers. Would you rather have the driver's championship or the crook constructors? Is that what yeah, so a, a, an engineer, sorry, as an engineer, would you rather be getting a driver's title, um, but be in eighth place? As like, a constructor. As a constructor, or have a constructor's title but your drivers end up finishing second and third in the drivers 
from an engineer's perspective, I'd want the constructors because I'd get a bigger pay bonus. <laughs> and my hard work would be rewarded more sufficiently. There you go. That's I think I'd take drivers just because no one really cares about constructors. The people making <laughs> the money do. The, the, pe- Const- the engineers do. <laughs> constructors championships exist to sell cars, and that's about it. Um, you only got to look how the engineers celebrate I mean, like when when Mercedes in probably win the constructors in a race or two's time, those people in the garage will not be celebrating as hard as they were. Weekend just gone. Drivers just means I, I a lot don't more. Know, I mate. think. I don't know. I don't know. I think this day. I think there was a time well, when it did, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I've, we'll see. We will see. We will see. Chris. Yes, we will. I like this. It's, um, it's a whole new edge to predictions league. How will, how will they celebrate? celebrate? We just find a way of quantifying celebrations. <laughs> I reckon they'll be pretty ecstatic when they do do it. Oh, they'll they be happy. It. But I just think yeah. drivers means. I more. think. Okay, here's a here's a, here's an interesting question. Who do you think would be more ecstatic to win the constructors, Mercedes or Ferrari? Ferrari, Ferrari, absolutely Ferrari. They don't think they're going to. They haven't won anything they, for years. Yeah, they think it's all over already. They think it's all over. So if they win it, I, I, to be honest, I'd quite like to see Ferrari win the construct. As much as I dislike Ferrari, yeah, I, I think we'd mind quite seeing nice. them win it because it'd just be quite a nice thing. I think they deserve something this season. Yeah. It, here's one for you to look up for next time because you probably don't have the answer right now. But when was the last time? A driver won a title, but his team didn't win the constructors. It was Lewis Hamilton um, and Ferrari won the constructors, and McLaren. Yeah, yes, McLaren uh, were docked yeah. points because of the Spice scandal. Oh, yeah. of course, that yeah, was the reason they physically couldn't win it. They yeah. didn't have to look it up. I had it there on the <laughs> on the tip of my tongue, ready and waiting. Tom, there you go then. <laughs> um, official Bruno Senna brand ambassador. <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> favorite message of the week <laughs> I thought okay. you were just making a statement for a second then it didn't I am, I am making a statement as is the official oh, Bruno Senna brand ambassador <laughs> I hope he's not um, being offensive this n- week uh, just using sarcasm more than anything sarcasm okay. as a tool <laughs> um, in a result no one saw coming at the beginning of the season noted underdog Lewis Hamilton has won the championship when Vettel races like a six year old playing Forza Motorsport it's an absolute <laughs> shock that Hamilton had the tenacity to clinch a title over the last few weeks um, it's a shame about Fernando Alonso not finishing again but at this point it's a blessing in disguise because not even Ayrton Senna could make that McLaren even close to passable as a car <laughs> Uh, I'd wager not even Bruno Senna could make that uh, moving chicane quicker. And if Bruno can't do it, what hope does Fernando have? (laughs) Ultimately, the true victim of the 2018 F1 season is Daniel Ricciardo. It seems his car was put together by a literal honey badger uh, and he's held together by sellotape and Daniel's pure distilled rage. Uh, But at least next season, he will be on another team, probably being rammed by Lance Stroll because when Alonso's gone, who else will he crash into? (laughs) There you uh, go. Thank, I'm, I'm enjoying some more Bruno Senna talk. <laughs> yeah. It's been a while since Bruno Senna, Bruno Senna crept into a podgy episode, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't really have much to to say <laughs> in response to any of that. It's all, it's <laughs> just, just more statements. Just let than it questions speak for there, itself. I think, but yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it's, a, it's always. I, I feel like we're just Definitely. a platform for the Bruno Senna brand ambassador, basically. Yeah, at this point, and we're not really necessarily communicating with them. So, <laughs> <laughs> shall we do predictions? <laughs> yeah. Do you want me to do them? Shall I go over? Yeah, them? I've been talking for a while. You can do them. 
Okay, okay. So, um, obviously, it was the Mexican Grand Prix. Uh, Chris, you got a point for guessing Verstappen would win. Yes. um, Number of finishers was 16, so you got a point for that. Um, Tom, you did exactly the same. Verstappen for the win, 16 finishes. And I only got 16 points. For, uh, sorry, one point for the 16 finishes. 16 points? 16 points. Streaking ahead of the championship. I have got the league in front of me here. So still in the lead, we've got Oleg Sidorov. He's entered 19 races, and he's on a huge score of 30.5 points now. Dominic Poole, the closest behind him. Um, with 26.5. In terms of the results this week, uh, we uh, our top dog this week is Jason Clark. Um, he predict- correctly predicted the number of finishers at 16, Max Verstappen for the win, and Hamilton's finishing position in fourth. Uh, and then honourable mention for Andrew Wright, who also got, who got Daniel Ricciardo, as uh, fastest qualifier and Max Verstappen for the winner. That's, a, that's an interesting prediction. That I quite like that one. Yeah, I um, like that he pulled that off. And also 16 finishers. In terms of us guys, Tom, um, you were fifth. Chris, you were 11th. And I was 32nd this week. I was very late putting my predictions in, I have to say. I put them in just before qualifying, so that'll be the reason <laughs> for that. And uh, in terms of the standings for us three, I am in ninth. Tom is two points behind me in 13th with 20 points. And Chris is creeping up slowly with yeah. 33 points. Uh, sorry, in 33rd with 14.5 points. I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. On on the predictions league as well, I just want to give an honourable mention to anyone who picked Ricardo as fastest qualifier, mainly because Ricardo said... Um, directly to Paul DeResta, you're the only person that genuinely believed I could get Paul today. Well... That's not true, Daniel. There was Andrew <laughs> Wright, Katie O'Brien, <laughs> Richard Jacket, and Eric Richardson all believed in you too. There you go, guys. Where, it's, um... where do you get a Richard Jacket from? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a shame because I think any other race with Hamilton as random driver would have been a good shout for someone getting a clean sweep but yeah not this one only four oh no sorry six people had him down as fourth um not yeah. many had him down for the win though very few no that's true had him down for the win our quest for our first clean sweep continues yes yeah um i'll just do a quick um uh formula one fantasy league as well but i need to sign in so just give me do a we sign. have to <laughs> <laughs> If you don't want to, we don't have to. No, go ahead. I'm just being salty because I'm doing terribly. <laughs> I've moved to second, um, so and I'm only, uh, I'm not that many points behind the racing incidents. So it's all to play for at the top. Um, and then West Mika Hakkinen's a, a little bit further back. Uh, who else have we got? Um, the Scuderia Carters have really dropped off. They were in the lead at one point, I think, and now they've. Uh, They've dropped down. Tom, you're in sixth now. And Chris, I can never find you. I was back of the group. Chris, <laughs> All right. Um, I can never tell if that's a joke about your position or if you just genuinely can't find <laughs> no, it. I'm just, just, it's because it, I'm looking for Chris and it says back of the grid, Chris. and it makes. I it did a bad job of naming my team. Yeah, you did. You did a terrible job. You also did a terrible job of your predictions because you got yep. 15th. <laughs> Joint 15th. It's just a bad um, team all around. 
Yeah. It's just not so, your year, Chris. It happens. It's, it's not. It's when you come back stronger next year that's key. Yeah, I'm already working on uh, next year's car. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's and, it. And, you shut off development for this season's predictions. Yeah. He was working yeah. on next year. Um, anyone Sleeper who agents. had anyone who had Charles, Charles Leclerc as their turbo driver would have got 42 points this week. Um, I think he was the top possible 46 for driver. Hulkenberg. Oh, was Sadly, it 46 for Hulkenberg? Ka-ching. Nice. Sadly, I had Alonso as my turbo driver, and I got minus twenty-two. Yeah, that that yeah. Well, there's your mistake, risk. Chris. Yeah, that'll <laughs> do it. It's never, never have Alonso as your turbo driver. It's too risky. Early um, season, yeah. it was paying off, but yeah, anymore. yeah, it was. yeah. After three races, I stopped that silly business. <laughs> yeah. So that's that. Um, you can find our uh, our league if you search on the F1 Fantasy. If you've got if you've got if you if you've got an account, you can just find us by searching back of the grid um, F1 podcast, and you can submit your predictions next week where, after we've done the preview for the Brazilian Grand Prix, um, and we'll give you all the details then because there's no point now because you can't submit it yet. <laughs> no, but you could go register. Yeah, you can Definitely still register. register. In the meantime, if you would like to just get in touch. In general, um, you can do so at Twitter, which is Back of the Grid F1, Facebook by searching for Back of the Grid and messaging the page, uh, Instagram at Back of the Grid, or, or the Back of the Grid website, which is backofthegrid.com, where, as we've just said, you can register for predictions for next time, or you can submit a message using the Contact Us form, which is where we get the awesome Bruno set of messages. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that is it for this week, I believe. We will be back next week to talk Brazil and what we think is coming there. So join us then. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Bye. This podcast is part of Britpod Scene, an independent network of uniquely British podcasts that's always growing. Check out BritpodScene.com or BritpodScene on Twitter to find out more. Oh.